Well, in this series, Imagine a Place, we are kind of leaning in to some of the teachings of Jesus, specifically the parables of Jesus. And Jesus at times would go throughout the region and he would tell a parable. He would lay out an analogy, a story, a metaphor, and it was a way of kind of stringing out a thought of truth for those who were listening. And as Jesus would do so, there was always this statement that he would make at the front end of parables. He would say, the kingdom of God is like... The kingdom of God is like, and then he would say the parable. Essentially, what he is saying is imagine a place where this type of thing happens. Imagine a place where these are the values. Imagine a place where people behave in this manner. And so what it does is it's meant to stretch our imagination and and stir our awe and wonder of who our God is. And, And my prayer this year is maybe, just maybe, you will recapture the awe and wonder that you once had of God. Or maybe you will discover an awe and wonder of God that you've yet to experience in your relationship with Christ. You know, Scripture says that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are born again. Yet tragically, when I look around most churches and observe most Christians, they appear bored again just checked out, apathetic, and lackadaisical in their faith. And I'm telling you, there's something so exhilarating when you pursue Jesus Christ and allow him to stretch your heart and stretch your mind, and you open yourself up to his work and his will in your life. It's amazing, and you can't help but wake up the next day thinking, what more does he have in store? And I don't know about you, but I look at our church and all that God has done, and I'm amazed, and I can't help but think, my goodness, what more? does he have in store? Can you imagine a place? And I was talking to my kids about this. I said, hey, do you know what a parable is? Now, I never heard this statement, but my son, Miles, who's nine years old, said, dad, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's amazing. I can't take any credit for that. Chances are one of you who teach our kids, uh, you can take credit for that. And can we just show our love for all the people who pour into our children? I love that. Wherever he got it, I'm thankful for. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so as we lean into this, I pray that you just open your heart and your mind and know what we're going to look at is what I believe to be a, a framework for your spiritual journey, a framework for uh, spiritual maturity and discipleship. And so it comes to us in Matthew chapter 13. Check this out. It says, that same day, which go home and read Matthew chapter 12, because that day was a wild day. In fact, it was a pretty rough day for Jesus. Folks were calling him demon-possessed, which is amazing. What you should know, if folks were wrong about Jesus, they're going to be wrong about you. And so they were critical of him. At one point, his his family comes to him, and they're like, Jesus, time to shut it down and come home. Nonetheless, he just keeps pushing forward. It was that same day. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. And I love this next part. It says, and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So what is happening is Jesus is teaching and the crowd is growing and now they're having to upgrade the sound system. They didn't have the audio equipment that we have, but what they did have was a sloped hill and a lake. And the lake would help, you know, magnify his voice. And so Jesus gets into a boat and it's not his boat. It's some individual's boat who uses it for his livelihood. 
which I love because in this moment, some individual allows Jesus to use his business as a platform. And my goodness, some of you, you're entrepreneurs and you're business owners, and I'm telling you, one of the most fulfilling, rewarding, significant thing you'll ever do in your life is allowing Jesus to use your business as a platform. Also, you can advance the cause of Christ and glorify God in the world, amen? That's what's happening in the story. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. And I love this because at the end of every parable, Jesus would make this statement. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he would just drop the mic. One of these weeks, I'm gonna come out here and preach like Jesus. And I'm just gonna come out here and say, you know what, folks? The kingdom of God is like chapstick. And with its lid on, you cannot apply it. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's a word. And just drop the mic. This is what he would do. And he would put before you um, a simple truth. But he would do so in a creative way. And I love this about Jesus because he didn't come offering you and I easy answers. If anything, he came asking some hard questions. And what he would do is he would put before us an opportunity to have a discovering moment, an opportunity to have an epiphany or an experience or an encounter with God. He wouldn't rob us of the joy and the thrill that comes with pursuing God. And so he would put in front of us an opportunity to lean into our faith. And when we look at scripture, folks, that's what it is. It's an opportunity for you and I to experience our faith. Now in this, Jesus is coming off of a crazy day and he turns to this crowd and he's like, all right, folks, there are four types of people in this group. And as we gather, I guarantee all four types of people are represented in this room and at every single one of our campuses and those online. And he says, there are four types of people and they all represent four different kinds of soil and three of the four soils are bad. It's like Jesus' gentle way of saying 75% of you are bad soil, right? And what Jesus shows us is you can deliver a hard truth in a soft way. I mean, he just kind of gently says, hey, it's like a a farmer who goes up scattering seed and he kind of gives us these four and it kind of echoes within us the question, which one am I? But I love that Jesus came delivering hard truths in soft ways. Church, this is really important for us as Christians. We gotta be careful because at times we represent God and we serve as the mouthpiece of God within the world. And I'm just telling you, do not make a declaration on God's behalf that doesn't come with his authorization. 
That's called spiritual forgery. And a lot of times it misrepresents the heart of our God. You have to be very careful. And so Jesus would deliver a hard truth in a soft way. And maybe, just maybe, there are people in your life who they need to hear a hard truth. And my prayer is you would take the time to prayerfully consider how can you say it in a soft way. I think if you and I were having coffee with Jesus, he would sit down with us and he would sit down with our culture and he'd sit down with everybody with an Instagram or a Twitter or a Facebook handle and he'd say, folks, don't mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. See, what we do is we think if we just say whatever's on our mind and just shoot from the hip, that's just being authentic and truthful. And a lot of times, it's not. And so it's saying, hey, I'm going to align myself with Jesus. Jesus would deliver a hard truth in a soft way. And and here's the deal. Today's message, it might be a firm truth. It's saying, hey, at the start of this year, let's really assess our lives because we can't get to where we're at if we first don't accept where we're at. We can't get to where we wanna be if we don't first accept where we're at. And in this parable, there comes three different titles scholars and theologians, academics, Christians throughout the ages refer to this parable by three different titles. Some will call this the parable of the sower. Others will call it the parable of the seed. And some, and this is a large group, will call it the parable of the soil. And sir, you can make an argument for all three. But here's what is interesting. This is one of the few parables that Jesus explains. So check this out. Jesus gives an explanation to his disciples, and he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means, which is funny to me that we started calling it other things when Jesus came out and he said, this one's called the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart, and this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But... The seed falling on good ground or good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And here's this statement again. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And essentially what he's saying is, guys, the good soil in the world makes up for all the bad soil in the world. I mean, that's a crazy thought to think about. And here's the deal. As we look at this, you currently represent one of these stages. And as I stand before you, I have no idea which one you are. It's so easy to play church. It's so easy to show up and and look the part. We put on our Sunday's best and we go through the motions and it's easy to disguise the matters of our heart. But every single one of us is currently managing some matter within the depths of our soul. And so what happens is, is we get inspired but we don't leave transformed. And there's no judgment there because I find I have a high sensitivity for inspiration. Anyone else, you just get inspired all the time? The tragedy is my inspiration rarely leads to transformation. 
For example, if I walk into Home Depot, it is like a doctor gave me a shot of testosterone in the hind end, and I'm like barking, and the, the masculinity just comes to a different level, and I'm walking down every aisle, staring at supplies and tools, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm looking at, but I just, it feels right. And it never fails. I end up leaving with a bag of Cheetos, some zip ties, and I hire out the job. I'm inspired, but I'm not transformed. This happens to me when I watch movies as well, especially if it's a car movie. I'll go to the theater and watch a movie where the cars are just racing, and I get into the parking lot. And you would think it's the next scene of Fast and Furious. I take out of that parking lot so quickly, but I don't go and become a car junkie. I never pick up a wrench. It is inspiration without transformation. This is always the case when I watch a, an action movie. I can remember Karate Kid and Rocky, and I'd, I'd get done watching one of those movies. I'm walking around the house throwing jabs when everybody knows this kid can't fight. Like, inspiration, no transformation. And tragically, this happens all the time. We show up, we gather as a church, and some of you are inspired. But the question is, why don't you leave transformed? Why isn't there a change in your character? Why do you keep circling the same issues, dealing with the same habits, wrestling with the same dilemmas? Why does the inspiration not result in transformation? And that's what we're going to look at today. And it first starts out, and Jesus says, this sower comes, and he's, he's scattering seed. Imagine a place. Imagine if we were a church that we just scattered good seed, and we just scattered the good news with anyone and everyone, regardless of where their heart was at. He just he scatters it. And some of it lands on a path, and the birds come and take it away. And it makes me think of scenes within our household. My wife is like a tornado cleaner. I mean, she comes to the house and she is just hyper productive. And if she's ever left at home alone, she goes into like purge mode where me and the kids return home to find half of our stuff was thrown away. <laughs> and there's this statement that she makes to the five of us often. And that is, if you don't want it thrown away, put it away. Yeah, you grew up in the same household I grew up in. You're married to the same type of woman I'm married to, Right. If you don't want it thrown away, put it away. And church, when we show up, we lean into God's word. My opinions can't change your life, but God's word certainly can. And if you don't learn to put it away, well, it's just not going to produce anything in your life, and chances are it's going to be thrown away. I love what David said in Psalms. He said, Lord, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And my prayer is, as we leave week in and week out from our gatherings, that maybe you would pause. And before you throw yourself into the rest of the day, and before you turn on the game, and before you run to your kid's event, whatever it is, it's not to say any of those things are bad, but before you give your attention to anything else, would you just make sure you put it in a safe place? God, I'm hiding your word in my heart. And so it says that there is the paths. And the paths represent the stage or season of life that comes with a lot of pain. 
And here's the hard thing when it comes to talking about pain. I wrestle with this tension. On one side of the spectrum is this this cautious, even nervous side of me that doesn't want to say anything that would in any way diminish real pain and misery and agony that some of you are going through. In no way do I want to deflate or say something that would disregard the situations of your life. But on the other side of that spectrum comes a a confidence You do this long enough and you live long enough and you experience God's ability to help any individual triumph over any situation. And before you know it, you look at situations of pain and your heart breaks, but you're also, your heart leaps. God can do this. God can help them through it. And some of you, you've been hurt greatly by life. Or or maybe the pain you're experiencing is your own doing and the consequences of some of your decisions. When it comes to the path, it is, a, it is a reflection of a hardened heart. And the heart has been hardened due to the pain of life. I mean, put yourself in ancient Palestine. You're living when Jesus lived. So you're aware of the paths that these people walked on. And here's the question. How would you make a path? Not the way we make it today. Not the way they made the Monon Trail with all the tools and machinery that came through and put the path in place. No, how would they have made a path in ancient Palestine? And the only way to do so was to trample on the ground. For individuals to just continue passing over and for animals to continue passing over and the more trampling, the more the path was put in place. And some of you, You know what it's like to be trampled by life. You know what it's like to be trampled by friends. You know what it's like to be trampled by family members. You know what it's like to be trampled by some coworkers, culture. You also know what it's like to be trampled by yourself. Why did I do this? And here's the deal. In this stage of life, there's no getting around it. This is just a miserable place to be. And my heart breaks for some of you because this is where you're at. There is a real pain, and it is the thing that is callousing your heart and keeping you from all that God wants you to experience in this life and in a relationship with him. And so in this, really the focus has to come down to forgiveness. If you find yourself as a path, let's say, hey, I've, I've been through some pain. I've gone through some things. Chances are in this season, your focus is, who do I need to forgive? And first off, it might be you need to forgive yourself. For sure, the first thing you need to do is receive God's forgiveness of you. Because I believe it is not until you truly experience forgiveness that you can express forgiveness. And church, know this. Forgiveness, it's not trust. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not even the lack of pain. These are terrible things that we say, hey, just forgive and forget. Well, that actually doesn't work. I still have a memory. But forgiveness is simply the cancellation of debt. You don't owe me anything, and I'm not looking to repay you for anything. Who in your life do you need to forgive? And and I know the objection in the heart is, but you have no idea what they did to me. And you're right. I have no idea. I have no idea. And chances are, as we sit a very diverse group, most of us cannot relate to all the unique layers of pain that every single one of us have gone through. 
And we have to be careful because we live in a world that is leveraging pain in a really unhealthy way. So if you look outside, it's become a victim's race. And whoever can prove that they have it the worst can then justify doing whatever they want to do and saying whatever they want to say. But that's not how we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. It's just not how we live. It's, it's not a victim's race. And where we go wrong is when we fall into the patterns of our world in comparing our pain. Folks, pain is pain. Regardless of how it's come about in your life, it's pain. And though we all may not be able to relate to each other's pain, Jesus can relate to all of our pain. In fact, on the cross, Jesus experiences the fullness of pain in every type of way and category. It's on the cross that Jesus experienced extreme physical pain. But beyond that, he experienced relational pain, denied by friends, betrayed by friends. He experienced emotional and psychological pain. But without a doubt, the greatest pain that Jesus experienced was spiritual pain. And some of you know what it's like to experience spiritual pain. You ever been hurt by a godly person? Those wounds just sting a little bit more. You know, there's this old promise in scripture that preachers love to quote, preachers like me, who will stand up in front of a crowd enthusiastically and they'll say, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, that's a great promise. But on the cross, Jesus cries out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because on the cross, Jesus had to experience hell. Also, you and I could experience heaven. On the cross, Jesus took on the full spiritual agony of all humanity. I mean, some of you can't sleep because of one bad mistake you made. And the shame that just keeps you up at night and robs you of your joy. Jesus absorbed all of our shame. And Jesus was completely separated from God the Father spiritual pain. He knows the pain we're going through. And here's the deal. If you've been hurt by godly people or you've been hurt by the church, I'm embarrassed to admit it. It's a real thing. But as a pastor of this church, I am deeply sorry for what you've been through. And my prayer is that you would not lose confidence in a good father just because he has bad kids. He's still a good father. He knows your pain. There's a song we used to sing in the church I grew up in. It said, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. He's a big deal. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth, and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. But crucified, laid behind a stone, you live to die, rejected and alone. And watch this statement. Like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me. Above all, I, I mean, listen, I don't know what has trampled you, 
but I know what trampled him. And he's proof that you can overcome anything that has come against you. You can overcome it. And I had this cute statement in my head that I kept messing around with, and it's not gonna be on the screen, and it's super corny, but it may be the only thing you remember. But if you trust God long enough and you stay to the course, your trampling will become a trampoline. It's super corny, I get it. But you know where scripture says he'll make your adversaries your footstool? And you'll reach a point in your faith where the thing that once stood over you, you've now triumphed over it. And now you just find yourself leaping, jumping for joy. I mean, this really is what is behind a lot of people's praise. I find that a person's praise is often proportionate to their pain. I've been through a lot, but he's good and he is faithful. And I triumphed over it all. And my trampoline has become a trampoline to God be the glory. Amen. To God be the glory. But church, here's the thing I want to say delicately. And I want to ask for your grace and just hear me out on this. This is really important. As long as pain remains an obstacle, as long as this is the thing you just can't get over and this is the thing that is barring you from a relationship with God, as long as pain remains an obstacle, blame will remain an option. Blame will remain an option. And here's the deal. As long as blame is an option, you continue to place your destiny and your future in the hands of other people and in the hands of other people who chances are have moved on. That's the imagery of a path. The people who made the path are no longer standing on the path. And so what forgiveness is, is forgiving and setting free a prisoner and discovering the prisoner was you. Forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. And so some of you, you can relate to the path. You have a hardened heart because of real situations in your life. And in this season, your focus needs to be forgiveness. In addition to that, the next category are the rocks. Now again, these are all images of the heart, all images of the soul. And what this is saying is, you know, there is a group of people who have so many things just bottled up in their heart, taking up space, that they've developed a shallow soul. So there is the hardened heart, and now there is the, the shallow heart. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I gave my life to Christ, I received his grace, and I stepped into that season of forgiveness. But then I discovered there were a lot of things in my life that God had to go to work on. Heaven didn't wave a, a wand over my character. I had to buy into the process of character development. And it's an ongoing journey for every single one of us. And what you find is there are rocks within every single one of us. Some it's pride and some it's lust and some it's anger and some it's greed and, and some it's insecurity. And, and the list goes on and on of things that just take up space in our heart. And if that's you... In this season, your focus is principles. Because what you find is God has a principle for the rocks within your soul. So if it's pride, you need to harness the principle of humility. 
And if it's insecurity, you need to harness the principle of identity and understanding you're a child of God. And if it's anxiety, you need to harness the principle of peace. And if it's greed, you need to harness the principle of generosity. And if it is jealousy, you need to harness the principle of gratitude. And the list goes on and on. It's saying, what are the things taking up space in my heart? What are the things robbing me of my joy that I need to open God's word and find his principle. Because when you discover his principles, you start to discover these rocks are movable. I can get this out of my heart. I don't always have to live this way and experience these feelings and thoughts. They're movable. And so where the hardened heart had to focus on forgiveness, if you're in the rock stage, your focus is freedom. Hey, what are the things in my life right now that I need to gain some freedom for. It had me thinking about last week, we were together with my entire family for Christmas. And it is amazing watching my parents as grandparents. They now have features they didn't have when they were my parents growing up. <laughs> and when you like watch your parents with your kids, and you're like, wow, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, patience? That wasn't in our house growing up. Gentleness? Oh, the flattery. It's amazing. They come now with new features. And uh, I think what happens is if you trust God long enough, you'll discover that your, well, your faith comes with new features. You start to realize, hey, I can, I can thrive in this life with Christ. And there's more to it than just showing up feeling bad about myself. There's freedom in Christ. Recently, I was watching a game with my son, it was the Dallas Mavericks versus the Boston Celtics. Now, typically when we watch a game, we always pick who we think is going to win on the front end of the game. A lot of times the kids pick and then I'm left with the alternative. And for years, my kids have always picked who they thought was going to win based on two criterias. The colors of uniforms or the mascots. That was it. But the other day, we're watching the game, and my son picks the Celtics, and then he says, Dad, I'm going to make a prediction. The Boston Celtics are going to win the NBA Finals. Now, he's unaware that they have the best record, and there's a good chance that they might win it this year. But I said, well, why do you think that? And he said, well, we watch all these games, and personally, I think they're the best team. They play well together. They got some good players. And he starts to develop his argument. And in that moment, there's this pride swelling up within me because I'm thinking as a father, my son is starting to understand the game. He's starting to have an appreciation for the game, so much so he's making a good prediction. And some of you, you're in a season where the more freedom and the more you just harness God's principles in your life, you start to understand the game of your faith. This is enjoyable, and you can be successful in a life with Christ. So there is this rock dynamic. And then there are the thorns, right? So the thorns are the things that are, you know, if there is the hardened heart, then there is the shallow heart. Well, then there is the divided heart. These are the things that are competing for your devotion, competing for your adoration. And so if you're in this category, your focus needs to be priorities. Hey, I need to manage my priorities also that God remains in his rightful place in my life. He is the king of kings and the Lord of all. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, right? 
He's my priority. And so here's the thing when it comes to weeds. Weeds and priorities are manageable. You don't ever just fully get rid of weeds. Anyone who's ever owned a house knows you don't even have to try to grow weeds. It's just the curse that came with the fall. Our ground produces weeds. And so if you want to have a nice yard, you just have to stay on top of it. And if you want to live a fulfilling life for Christ, you have to stay on top of the things that are competing for your devotion. And so for the first category, it was forgiveness. And the second category, it was freedom. Well, if you're in this category, your focus is faithfulness. I am unwavering in my commitment to Christ. I'm unwavering in my desire for more of his work in my life. He's the number one priority. Now, bear with me here, but I think where we are really tripped up in this area is we keep uh, taking our cues from culture. And so what happens is, is we are subscribing to a lot of really bizarre logic that then produces even more bizarre behavior in and through our lives and in our society. And I would do this thing with my kids where sometimes I'll stop a show in the middle of a commercial and I'll say, kids, pay attention to this commercial. What are they trying to appeal to? How are they trying to sell you on this product? And so recently I was looking at this commercial from a 1970s Ford commercial. Now, I personally believe that the Ford F-150 is the best truck out there. But watch, I want, before we show this, pay attention. Pay attention to how they market this truck. Listen to their language, pay attention to their angle, and then make sure you listen to the next step at the end of the commercial. Go ahead and play it. That's a hair trigger explosive flare. And we're going to prove that the 1970 Ford pickup works like a truck, rides like a car, by running a course of explosive flares. We're attaching a rod to the front wheel spindle and another to the cab. Any up or down movement of these rods will set off the hair trigger explosives. Now we're in the rut. The wheel is taking the punishment of the 4x4s. The rod explodes the flares. But the rod in the cab hasn't even touched a flare. That's because of Ford's better ideas. Twin I-beam front suspension. Two front axles instead of one that step over bumps independently for a smoother car-like ride. Test ride a 1970 Ford pickup at your Ford dealers now. I mean, that's 1970. That was the commercial. There was a time when they marketed a vehicle based on its performance, not based on a personality standing next to the vehicle. I, I love this. It's clear to me that the people who came up with the commercial are the people who designed the truck. I'll sell it to them. In fact, at the end, they don't even make a pitch. They just say, come and test drive one yourself. Now, pay attention to the new Ford F-150 commercial. Check this out. The power to change your future is now. The new F-150 is here. Be one of the first to drive the latest, most advanced, best-selling truck for the last 45 years. Custom order your F-150 today. Now lock in 3.9% financing for 60 months plus $1,000 retail order bonus cash on a 2023 Ford F-150. Only at your Northland Ford dealers.
Now look, if you own a Ford truck and you ordered one, don't take this personally. I'm going to poke fun on this. But this is a bunch of nonsense. Let's go down the script. The first statement out the gate, the power to change the future is now. That's a bit of an oversell. And how are we going to do it with the click of a button? Please don't tell me another person thinks they're going to change the world sitting behind a keyboard. No, too much? All right. What's the next statement? Be the first, which is a lie. I guarantee other people are already driving the vehicle. There's no way they can send out a message to millions of people telling every single one of them, be the first. Only one person can be first. If you didn't play sports, that's how it works. (laughs) What is the next statement? The 2023 Ford is here. That's just an obvious statement. That would be like me coming out here being like, folks, this is a sermon. It's an obvious statement. Well, duh, you guys come out with one every year. You don't need to tell us, hey, 2023, new truck. And then they actually tell us the important part. Best-selling truck for 45 years. It's just amazing to me that they have to put all that other stuff around their impressive resume. And then how do they end? Hey, without even seeing it, here's how to buy it with money you don't have. And here's the deal. Some of the most brilliant marketers in the world got together in a room and they said, how can we best sell this product? And this is what they came up. I would love to get the two groups of marketers together at like a Ford family reunion (laughs) because they would be so confused by each other. Like how many of you were born in 1970 or before? Raise your hands at all of our campuses. Look at this. I mean, now look at these commercials. Consider how much we have changed in the way we think just in your lifetime. It is bizarre to me. And so what happens is, is we get so tripped up and persuaded by a really bizarre world that has figured out how to manipulate us well. And so what I'll tell my kids is, hey, there's a big difference between the eyes of society and the eyes inside of me. Listen, kids, you got to understand that the world is always going to try to influence you. But what do the eyes inside of you say? What do your convictions say? What does the Spirit of God inform you? What does God's Word say? What do the wise and righteous people in your life, what do they say? There's a big difference between the eyes of society and the eyes inside of me. And what's tragic is we're going through life so fast that we're not taking time to think through all the information we're just receiving effortlessly. And I wrote this in my journal. Too many people lack the mental stamina to stay with the thought long enough to test its validity. Hey, like, I think you have to have a system for how you think. And I would lay it out for you this way. I'd say, one, you got to learn to think critically. Be hard on the things that are trying to captivate your mind. Two, you have to learn to think independently because my goodness, we are manipulated by the echo chambers of our world. Three, you have to learn to think strategically. What is the filter you run thoughts through before they get to have a home within your heart and mind? And four, you have to learn to think patiently. Just because someone's pressuring you to accept something doesn't mean you have to accept it. No, I'm going to take some time on this one. I'm going to think 
patiently about this. Because folks, lazy minds, they produce crazy lives. And I just want us to rise up as people also we can get the most out of the life Jesus died to give us. And the last category is soil, which is obviously what Scripture's nudging us towards. And in this season, our focus is on purpose. And it's people who live a life of purpose that their lives become memorable. So in the first category is forgiveness, in the second category is freedom, in the third category is faithfulness, and in the fourth category, it's fruitfulness. You just... You start to produce righteousness and the good soil makes up for the bad soil in the world. Can you imagine a place that accomplishes that? It makes me think of falling in love with Kristen early on. Really, why I asked her to marry me was genetically I seen her jump shot and was like, the two of us (laughs) could produce a good shooter. I loved her jump shot. I loved her attitude on the court. I loved that she talked a lot of trash and she loved Jesus. That was enough for me to say, hey, we should do this. But it's funny, over time, my love for her has grown in other areas that I now love her more for other things. Chris had a great career in HR and marketing and advertising and communications and she's just a great leadership conversation. She's bright and she's brilliant and I love talking with her. She's also a good little cook. And if I had to choose now between a hot meal and a nice jump shot, sweetheart, what are we having for dinner, right? Like, I take the meal. She's a wonderful mom. And and what I'm saying is is I, I want some of you who have lived so long at square one in your faith to get to a place in your relationship with God where you start to love him for different things. Where you just start to have such a personal relationship with them where you sense them and you expect them every single day in every interaction of your life. Like I find Jesus to be hilarious. He's witty. Recently I was mad at my phone because it kept auto-correcting a message I was trying to send and I yelled out, stop changing my words. And there's this subtle whisper in the depths of my soul, story of my life, right? <laughs> like God deals with the same thing. There was a time I was at the park with my kids and their cousins, and two of my nephews were acting rotten. They tried to take the ball and run off to the house, and as they were running, both of them tripped and wiped out. And I was like, was that you? Did you just trip my kids? This is too much information, but maybe it'll let you into my relationship with God. You do this long enough, and you stand on these platforms, and the older you get, I think something's changing in my biology, that there are so many times that right before I'm about to speak, I think to myself, I need to use the restroom. (laughs) And there have been so many times backstage, right before I'm about to walk out and preach, I literally say, Lord, help me make it 40 minutes. Give me 40 minutes. And he's so clutch. He's never outed me once. I give him such a hard time, and not once has he been like, you know what? Let's see how this plays out. (laughs) He could make this such a memorable service. Every single one of you would be like, snap photos. (laughs) But he's just, he's clutch. He's dependable. He's thoughtful. He's creative. He's he's really genuine. I mean, he is extremely low maintenance. This should be in your doctrine. He is self-sufficient. Man, I've never had another friend who didn't need anything. He is a really remarkable God. And so again, the questions that we need to ask, one, what kind of soil are you? 
But I want to echo it back to the beginning. What's the title of this parable? The parable of the sower. Jesus knew, hey, they're all going to get focused on the soils. They're going to read it, and they're going to talk about the paths, the rocks, the thorns, and the soil, and they're not going to pay attention to the main character in the story, which is the sower, which raises the question, what kind of farmer is this? Because it's really hard not to think this is a bad farmer. Maybe the question we should ask is, is this a good farmer? Because a good farmer would deal with the path. A good farmer would get rid of the rocks. A good farmer would remove the thorns, not waste all this scattered seed. Is this a good farmer? And then it hit me. It's because he doesn't own the field. So he's throwing seed over the fence, but he doesn't own the field. And some of you, you're frustrated with God because you've done the church thing for so long and you've played church and you've gone through the motions, but there hasn't been true transformation. And chances are, it's because he doesn't own the field. You haven't fully surrendered your life to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. But if you do, what he can produce in and through our lives, out of this world. Can you imagine a place where people leaned into forgiveness? Can you imagine a place where people discovered freedom? Can you imagine a place of faithful people? And can you imagine a place of fruitful people where the good soil starts to make up for all the bad soil? What a place. And what would happen if we became a church like that? I think we'd change our community. I think we'd change the world. And I think we'd be a part of the next great awakening within our country, the one that we're all praying for. So at this time, I'm gonna pass it back to all of our campuses. And I'm gonna ask those of you in the room to stand and pray with me. Folks, I'm convinced this will be your best year with Christ if you just lean in and take him at his word. It's hard to generate spiritual momentum with sporadic church attendance. It's hard to become a a person of spiritual maturity while harnessing spiritual apathy. Really take your faith serious this year. Let's see what God can do in and through our lives, amen?